You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. chapter 23. Uh, remember, as of this morning, Jesus had shut down the entangling questions of the Pharisees and Sadducees, um, and so much that they stopped their efforts to destroy him with his words. They, they realized that was futile, and so uh, they they stopped. And now, they hadn't given up on bringing him down. They just realized they were going to have to go back and find a new way to, to do that. And by the way, it is impossible to entangle someone in their words when they tell the truth, Right? That's impossible. And Jesus could not be caught. It was impossible for him to be caught with his words when he always told the truth. Now, Jesus then, he turns in verse number one. It says, then Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples. Jesus turns and he begins to address the multitude, specifically those who are his disciples, those who are his followers. Not just the twelve, but disciples were, were, were many people that were actually disciples of Jesus. And then there were, of course, people there who were just interested in what they could see and hear. Now, no doubt, uh, the scribes and Pharisees were probably still some in that multitude, if not many, and they needed to hear what Jesus was going to say. They knew they needed to hear what Jesus was going to say about Pharisees and how they behave. But it wasn't just them that needed to hear it. It was the disciples that needed to hear it. It's important that we understand Pharisees and the, the spirit of the Pharisees. Today, there are no such things as Pharisees, uh, Israeli uh, Jewish Pharisees on this earth. That there's nobody carrying that title that I know of, that I could find out. But are there people with the attitude and the spirit of the Pharisees? And the answer is, of course there is. And we want to see what those are. And we want to, be, we want to know so we know what, when we see it and we need to be weary of it. We also need to know so we don't see it ourselves. And if we begin to see it ourselves, we can correct it and, and ask God to, to rid it from our lives. Now, so tonight I want to warn us here with the words of Jesus. We are disciples of Christ, we are the uh, we are the followers of Jesus Christ, and so when He speaks to the followers here, I've told you before, we have to be careful taking promises of the Word of God and, uh, and warnings and saying that's for me. But I think we can take this here and say this is a warning we need to heed. Um, we can certainly learn from what He's teaching them. The spirit of the Pharisees is destructive to the New Testament church, and each believer that it affects. It is destructive to them, and it is destructive to their testimony and to the church. So we want to be very careful about that spirit. So let's look at verse 2. The Bible says, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do ye not after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their one of their fingers. But all, in all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at the feast and the chief priests in the synagogues and, and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Let's stop there because here Jesus identifies Pharisees. After being repeatedly attacked, Jesus says, and he begins with his disciples and warns or talks about those that sit in Moses' seat. What is Moses' seat? Well, some say that there in the, in the synagogue there, there was a chair in the front, and that was where a Pharisee or a scribe would sit, and they would be the teacher or the interpreter of the law. We talked about this, that this morning, about the scribe, how he would have been a teacher of the law and interpreter of the law. 
Now, whether that chair, whether there was actually a chair there that was called Moses' seat, I don't really know. But Jesus' point here is that there would be people that would be carrying on the tradition of interpreting and conveying the law. It's important that those who are interpreting and conveying the law, or let's say today New Testament church, the word of God, it's important that the, that person be not someone with the, with the spirit of the Pharisees. The law was in Hebrew. Those common Jews, they spoke a language called Aramaic. Um, some of them understood Greek, and some of them spoke Greek, but mainly they spoke Aramaic. Uh, much less of them spoke Hebrew or could read Hebrew. It's pretty much a lost language at this point. But the, so that means the common Jews were, were relying on the translators or the translations. Uh, uh, if, if, they could, if they could read those translations or hear those translations from those men, that was really all they could do to, to hear the law and understand the law. Now, there were some. Uh, the Septuagint uh, comes along, and that's, that is a, a, a version of the Old Testament that's in Greek. Um, but even some of them couldn't understand Greek, so if they had had it, it still wouldn't have done them any good at that point. Now, not all, this is my opinion, I don't know that we have anything that says all scribes and all Pharisees were God-rejecting hypocrites, but it seems like most of them were. So after all the repeated attacks, Jesus says here, he says, now, when, they're, when they go to Moses' seat, uh, observe and do. Listen to them and do what they say. You might say, wait, what? Jesus told them, these are the people who had just attacked him. And Jesus said, when they go there and they speak from there, listen to them and do what they say. Jesus, though, draws a line between what they said and what they did. And, uh, and that's for obvious reasons. But it's important because just because someone does something wrong doesn't mean what they say is wrong. Throughout my life, I have listened to preachers or listened or read commentaries or read books by people that you go, man, that was such a great book. And, Man, that was so great, right? That was such a great sermon. And then later, something comes out that that person fell. They, they had some type of sin in their life. That doesn't mean that everything that they said was wrong and it has to be thrown out or disregarded. But uh, so some of these Pharisees, they were not maybe intentionally hypocritical, but the doctrine, the traditions that were passed to them were so out of the common, uh, so out of reach for the common man, they simply became hypocrites by default. In other words, they, they saw the law, they heard the law, they were taught the law, and they conveyed it as they heard it, and that became normal to them. Is there been anything that you're, over your life you were like, man, I grew up hearing this in church, whatever kind of church you came from, and I grew up hearing this, and as you've gotten older, you went, oh, that really wasn't in the Bible. Certainly, we've all done that, and we've seen things, and we've, there's things that we heard, uh, especially you know, going to a Christian school, and you'd hear all kinds of different people, all kinds of different things. Uh, there are things that we'd say, man, I, I don't think that was right. And so those Pharisees, some of them probably came from that kind of background. Now, so Jesus is advocating that his disciples obey what the law says. When these men spoke from Moses' seat, in other words, when they were keeping faithful interpretation of the word of God, and when, as Moses would to expound on the law, and they did it accurately and completely, then they should obey those commands. Why? Because those commands are not from man, but those are from God. Now, I know that a teacher and a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, uh, someone loses effectiveness when people know that they're hypocritical. Right? You, you might say, well, hey, I said the right things. But if, if, if you're hypocritical as you said that to someone, if I'm hypocritical as I stand here in the pulpit, you're going to listen to me and go, yeah, whatever. He doesn't practice that in his own life. 
So there was a temptation for them to throw away all of what the scribes and Pharisees said, all their words, because of their hypocrisy. But God has used hypocrites in my life to strengthen me. God has used hypocrites in my life to sharpen me. I didn't know it then, but God still used them because God's word, no matter who says it, doesn't return void. Now, verse 4. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So here I'm going to give you three things from verses 4 through 7. Uh, here, number one is first, what they do. Here's what Pharisees do. The scribes and Pharisees, they were not the priests. They were not the keepers of the synagogue, but they were laymen, or they were not the chief priests and, and the, high, the high priests. But they were the laymen. In many ways, they had great influence. Their version of the law was burdensome and grievous. Now, we know that the law, if we see the law as something that we must keep and it will make us more spiritual, make us right with God, it's going to be burdensome, right? Because we can't keep it. But their version of the law was even more burdensome. They expanded the laws of God. They added their tradition. So when the law said things like, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, there was an intention behind the law, right? With our Supreme Court and the judges, they're not just supposed to read it and say, okay, well, this is what it means to me today. They're supposed to un try to do their best to understand the intention of the spirit that is behind the law. So they would say, well, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, here's what that means for you. And to today, Orthodox Jews, they will, I remember years ago, I was installing alarm systems. And uh, there was, a, in, a, in a Jewish home, we had to put a little switch on the side of the, control panel back then they just lit up they didn't have you know screens like they have now and so uh we, we'd have to put a switch on the side that would kill the backlight because they could not they believed it would be wrong to have lights because it's using energy because it's causing someone to work they could not have lights on in their alarm panel so on on uh, on friday night to saturday night they had flip that switch and it would turn the backlight off you see what had happened is they had taken something that God had made to be good and holy, and they'd made it into something that made man feel good about himself, or made man feel really bad about himself. And that's what legalism does. It makes the bad guy feel good about himself because he kept some rules. It makes the good guy feel bad about himself because he didn't keep a rule. So they added to those things. Now, is there wisdom? And, I, and let me answer the question for you before I ask it. There is wisdom in listening to traditions. I, I spoke in chapel this week at Rochester Hills, and I, and I told this before, I believe, but I, I told the kids about a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He, he's a Catholic um, theologian, so I'm not endorsing anything else he says, okay? Uh, but he, he did give this one good illustration, and, and I, if I'm going to use an illustration, I'm going to tell you where it came from, okay? So uh, he talks about two men, about the, the wise man and the non-wise man. The non-wise man goes down the road. He sees a fence or a gate across the road, and he goes, well, this is dumb. Why is this here? And he says, let's, let's take that fence down. But the wise man comes back, and he says, why is this fence here? Or there's a fence here. This doesn't make sense. Let's figure out why it's there. And so we look at tradition. Before you tear it down, look and see why it's there. I know I've told you that recently. But I, but I think that that's a good illustration of, of what we must do. We should look at those traditions. We don't just automatically go, that's tradition, that's garbage, throw it out. Tradition can be good. And if you say, well, I don't, really, I don't like tradition. Did you celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Did you get presents? Yeah, you like tradition. All right. Um, now, hey, by the way, something that was a wise choice at one time may not be a wise choice now. 
Okay, so it's not just there may be things traditions that at one point were good and they became bad. You remember uh, the the serpent on the pole? Hey, look at the look at the serpent. You live those who were bitten by the serpent back in back in the wilderness. And then what happened later? That tradition became worship, and they began to worship that serpent on the pole, and God had it destroyed. So not everything that used to be good is still good today, and not everything that used to be good is bad today. So every time, listen, every time we make a decision based on tradition or wisdom, we must be clear of our intentions, motivations, and reasons. In other words, we must not give a thus saith the Lord when, God, when the Lord didn't say thus. Okay? Don't say, well, the Bible says this unless you know the Bible says that. Otherwise, you become someone like the Pharisees who added to the word of God. Now, the commands of the Pharisees were too much to expect and it was too much for them even to follow. Look at verse 5. Am I talking fast? I feel like I am, and I know you're, I know you're okay with that, but verse 5. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Somebody define phylacteries for me. Uh, Joshua knows that I'm sure you do, but I'm not going to ask you right now because you don't have a microphone. Um, all right. Joshua, I'm telling you, Joshua prepares minutes and minutes for church, so that's an old, old joke, worn out. Now, some of the men attempted to follow the legalistic commands because they genuinely wanted to do what's right. I have known legalistic people who were trying to do what's right. Listen, I have been a legalistic person that has tried to follow the rules because I wanted to do what's right. They were dragged into legalism by their fervor for doing what's right. And I think fervor without understanding is dangerous. Like, man, I'm just going to go get him. I, I remember a guy one time, man, I'm telling you what, he got, he got quote-unquote saved. And he, was, he, he had a ton of fervor. And then, man, the things he was saying, I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to squelch it. Maybe he's just really getting excited about the Lord. And then, uh, boy, man, he got really legalistic, and then he just stopped coming to church and never went back. Okay? Uh, the root did not dig, did not go deep with him, and he, I don't believe he was ever truly saved from what I've heard, um, from what I know of him. No. Um, so the, the men Jesus is talking about here is not the common Jew, but it's the scribe and Pharisees. And they did their works... Only out in the open. You see, if no man's going to see it, then what's the point in doing it? That's how they felt. Everything they did was for the recognition of men. Now, Jesus said they made, they made broad their phylacteries. It's a weird word. Uh, the Greek word and the English word are only used once in Scripture. Okay, It's the only use we have of them in Scripture. Of course, there's other places in, uh, in ancient uh, Greek uh, literature that you can find it. Now, there's no English word that rightly fits this, so the translators transliterated uh, phylacterion to phylacteries. And it means this. It means a fortified place or a guard station. Jesus used it to describe the place these religious people kept their small strips of scripture that they carried with them. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, the Israelites were told by God to keep his words near their heart and bind them on their foreheads between their eyes. So they would put small strips of of paper, and they would have small strips with scripture written on them, and they would roll those up into little scrolls, and they would put those in their phylacteries, would put those in this little storage place, maybe on their head, or sometimes they say it would be on their, their left arm, so it was near their heart. So they were trying to keep the law. They were trying to do what God had told them to do. And this made them look spiritual. They were pharisaical, and they walked around with these phylacteries, but they walked around and they enlarged their factories. They made broad their factories. They, they said, I've got a bigger uh, place. I've got more scripture. Now, whether there's more scripture in there or not, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you could see the scrolls. 
But they carried more scripture than the other guy. And so they were more spiritual in people's eyes. They also carried scripture in the borders of their garments. Um, Numbers chapter 15. We find that, uh, we find that, uh, that listed there. They're enlarged, they enlarged their borders to make it look like they were more godly. So they have, maybe it was a hem, and they would have a hem where they would put scrolls in, and they enlarged, they had bigger hems because it would make them look like they were carrying more of God's words. And so this is how legalism, or the pharisaical spirit, it lives on today. How? Man, how many of you have a large Bible because you need large print? Yeah. Um, I, I, I used to preach with a smaller Bible, and I ordered this one, and I thought it was going to be smaller, but it's bigger um, than it was. But I had some Amazon points, and so I'm like, I'm getting me a new Bible. It's bigger. You know why? Because I'm more spiritual than I used to be. <laughs> a couple weeks back, I preached from a Bible that was it's about this big. And I forgot to tell you, because I was talking about, uh, it was the last night I preached from the patriarchs, but it was a Bible that belonged to my great-great-grandfather, I believe. And, uh, and it, I have several Bibles that were from some people in my way back in my past. My great-great-grandfather's Bible, uh, Mr. Hughes, I don't remember his first name, but what is it? Melvin Hughes. Thank you for not naming me Melvin. Um, if, you're, if you're Melvin and you're watching, I apologize. But, um, and so I preached from that Bible, and it was a little Bible. That doesn't have any bearing. But I, you ever seen people walk around? Man, I'll go out to the big Bible. And they walk around, and they love to walk with that big Bible under their shoulder. And I like to talk like this. And I'm not sure why they talk like that. Um, but I'm more spiritual because I have a bigger Bible. Uh, I'm more spiritual because I wear a suit to church. I just want you to know that. It makes me more spiritual than those of you without. Now, of course it doesn't. Um, your clothes have nothing to do. This is the cause and effect, right? What you do, the Bible you carry, the clothes you wear, uh, those do not make you more spiritual. Can those be influenced by your, your relationship with Christ? Of course they can. But that doesn't mean if you don't have a suit on, you're not spiritual. And that doesn't mean if you have a small Bible or if you're using your phone, that doesn't mean you're not spiritual. Is it better to use a phone for your Bible or a paper Bible? It's better to use whichever one you're going to use. Uh, can, a, can a man wear informal clothing with the wrong motivation? Sure. Can he wear formal clothing with the wrong motivation? Of, co- of course. Now, let's look at where they do it. Verse 6. And the love of the uppermost rooms at the feast and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings from their markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. So here's where they do it. Here's where they become where they act like Pharisees. They get the best seats, the greatest honor, the best treatment. Not only that, they feel entitled to it. I have met some evangelists before where you go, I would never have you preach or step foot in this building. I'd never invite you to step foot in If you want to come in here and hear the word of God, that's fine. But you're not going to be the one up here giving it. Because you're rude, you're arrogant, you want only green M&Ms in your green room, or whatever. Uh, I have met some that are, that are come across as very pharisaical. The seats for the honored men, they'd be up in the front of the common people for all the common people to see them in their important places. Now, I, don't want, you to, I want you to hear me out before you judge and before you get upset. A lot of churches have chairs up here, right? Um, and this church did. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay? I want you to know from the very start, there's nothing wrong with that. When I came here, um, pretty much right away I stopped sitting up here. The first week I did because um, I was following my lead. But I just don't like it. I want to sit with my wife and worship. I want to sit there and be a part of, of the, the body worshiping. Now, some of them, I've been in, and again, I'm not condemning this tradition as being wrong, but it is a tradition. 
There are some chairs, I've been in churches, in my other job, I've been in churches where there's, you know, maybe six or ten or twelve chairs, and they're, they're normal chairs, but there's one really nice one. Sometimes it's even, Micah knows this, sometimes it even looks like a throne. Eric knows this too. It, I mean, it looks like, now we've got a couple that look sort of thronish, okay? Um, and I thought about bringing one out, but I don't want to, I'm not trying to dishonor those who went before me, because I don't mean this in that way. But there are some that look like thrones, and that one is for the man of God. There was one church I was in, and they have, they have uh, seats, and then like in the front, they had music up here. They didn't have chairs up here, but they had two really big like lounge-type seats for the, for the pastor and the first lady. And I was like, that's what we need right there. And, uh, and uh, you know, there, there is this thing, but people that, that sitting up here, um, some churches, it's where the prominent people sit. Now, I can't answer why people do that. All I can do is answer for me. But I know this. When I was a young adult, when we were attending Warren Missionary Baptist Church, um, I was there for several years and started teaching Sunday school and getting involved and, and, and being um, just really involved in church and loved it and was really excited about it. And I remember Pastor Smith inviting me to sit up on the platform. And I go, what do you want me to do? There's nothing. I just want you to sit up here. And there were a few times where he had me do announcements or something, but there was me and a, the song leader and a choir leader, and then there was uh, me over on one side and me and the pastor. There's four chairs, and I was one of the four chairs. And uh, what was I doing up there? I have no idea. But I felt pretty good about myself. I, I felt pretty important because the pastor had me sitting up on the platform with him. The people saw me sitting up there. Listen, I was excited because I was put in a prominent place, and I didn't really care if Jesus was exalted that day. So that's why we don't sit up here. Because that's just my personal preference. And that's why we... That's why I said, let's not have those chairs up here, and I'm going to sit down there with, with my wife. This is not a comparison of church and synagogue saying this is the exact same thing. But it's about the heart of man seeking the eyes of men. They lusted after titles of respect and honor. Today, men covet titles in the church. They covet pastor, elder, bishop, deacon, uh, trustee, director, whatever. People covet the, the title. And I've said before, we don't typically look for people... In, to be in leadership that aren't already basically doing the job. Now, let's look at verse 8. But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and ye are all brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt him shall be abased, and he shall humble himself, and he that shall humble himself, shall be exalted. Here is discipleship, and he describes it for us uh, here in verses 8 through 12. Strong's Concordance says that rabbi literally means my master. So Jesus said, don't accept the title of rabbi. Why? Because I am the only master. You, no matter your role, you are brethren with everybody else. Then he says, to call no man thy father. In verse number 9. The word father there is not some religious word. It's the word that is used for a male parent. Is Jesus against my kids calling me father? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what he's teaching? Yeah. Listen, I am his dad. He can call me father. You go, but doesn't that go against what he's teaching? No one, including my children, should call me father as a title in a spiritual sense. 
This is what I believe he's saying. Don't call him father in a spiritual sense. Uh, and I'm not trying to, to, to discredit, I'm not trying to bash anybody else. Okay? I want you to know that. But we all know Catholics use the word father for their priest. They call, they call him father. Catholics uh, argue that Paul, they argue this passage by saying that Paul called Timothy son. And he did in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He also called Timothy son in Philemon chapter 2. He called the Corinthian believers sons in 1 Corinthians 4. He insinuates that he is the father to them spiritually in verse 15. However, there is a difference in someone calling you their father figure spiritually and a person demanding or accepting a title of father. Is it okay to say, man, he's kind of like a father in the faith to me? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, we see that. That's what Paul did. That's what, uh, that's what he talked about other believers, and other believers considered him their father in, in, uh, spiritually, but not as their God the Father. Okay, So there's a difference here. So is it wrong for someone to call the, the pastor, the, the priest, whatever, father? I believe that we are being told here that it's not a title we should be giving to man when it comes to spiritual things. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. In the church of Christ, all titles and honors which exalt men and give occasion for pride are here forbidden. I don't think Jesus is giving us a list and saying this list, these are three words you're not allowed to use, but anything else is okay, right? Because man will come up with a new word to exalt another man. And so the point is we don't exalt men to the, the role that God deserves. We don't exalt men to the place where it would take glory from the Father. When it comes to my spiritual life, when it comes to my new life in Christ, I have one Father. Jesus said of unbelievers, he said, you're of your father the devil. You see, everybody has a father. You're either of your father the devil or you're of God the Father. So listen, I don't want to be called Father. I know Jeff is going to start doing that just because I said it. I don't want to be called Father. And I will ask you, please don't do that if, if you meant it seriously. Jeff, I don't believe anything. I don't care what anything he says. That's my Sunday school teacher. Um, anyway, listen. So let me address this too. I don't like the. I don't want to be called reverend. Um, no, that doesn't. I'm not rebuking other people. I'm, I promise you, I'm really not. Um, it's when I get called reverend all the time. I get called reverend when I go do funerals. I get, the, the 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 funeral directors. They're very respectful. They're very professional people, and they will say, and everything comes, and they'll say Reverend Clark and. And I don't correct them because they're just trying to be respectful. Uh, reverend has become a word that simply refers to a member of the clergy. It means, but here's what it means. It means one worthy of reverence. The, the word is only used once in scripture in Psalm 111.9. And it says, he sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. That is not talking about a human. That's talking about God's name. That's talking about the Lord's name. Holy and reverend in his name. So listen, I can make no claim to be reverend in the biblical use of the word. So I don't like the term reverend. And so what, can we call you pastor? Can we call you bishop? Can we call you elder? Can we call you? Those are biblical terms for the office that I hold. And this goes against tradition. And this goes against my pride, by the way. You don't have to call me by those titles. Now I will say I appreciate the respect that somebody gives to the office. Not to me, okay? Um, so is it wrong to call someone pastor? Well, that's about the lowest, pastor, shepherd, that's about the lowest um, 
occupation you could have chosen. Okay? Now today, it can be used as a term where people will call it pride. You ever seen somebody put like doctor so-and-so PhD? You know doctor and PhD mean the same thing? Uh, so why? You put a whole bunch of letters after your name. There's nothing wrong with getting the letters after your name. There's nothing wrong with getting a doctorate in philosophy, a PhD. But I, don't, I have never told someone, uh, you need to call me this, or you need to call me this. People ask me. I, I ran into um, Emma's best friend. Where are you at, Emma? I ran into her best friend in the hospital the other day. She had, she had fallen on her finger, and she broke it, and she's going to have, have surgery possibly. And I saw her and her mom, and I knew who they were, and we stopped and talked in the hallway. And, um, and she said, I said, will you tell, I said, tell Emma when you get to school that I said hi. And she goes, okay. And then her mom says, did she call you Pastor Stephen or Pastor Clark or whatever? And I go, I have no idea. I don't know what she calls me. She calls me Pastor. I think that's what she calls me. And, and I said, but I have never, and I appreciate it. And I think as parents we should teach our kids to show respect to all those who are older than them. So I am, I'm not against people calling the pastor, pastor. But I am against the pastor saying, you're going to call me this, and you're going to call me this, and you're going to call me this, because I believe that's what Jesus is saying, is we don't demand those titles for our sake of our pride. Now, uh, look at verse 10. Neither be, called, neither be called masters, for one is your master even Christ. Now, is this repetitive from verse, verse 8? Not, not necessarily. Um, the, the word is different here. This, the word in, in uh, verse 8, rabbi, means my master, and master means guide teacher. Okay, so in verse 8, uh, we have two words there, uh, rabbi and master. Rabbi means my master. The word master means teacher. Okay, then we come to verse 10, and neither be called ye masters. Again, same word as master in verse 8, uh, for one is your master, even Christ. So we're told twice that Jesus is, is the master. Uh, he is the teacher or the guide. Can we call someone at school teacher, or can we call someone professor at college? Can we call our Sunday school teacher by that title? Well, I think here's what Jesus' point is. We should never give the man the honor and position that only belong to God. Man should never demand to have those titles of pride. It is not wrong to honor another man or woman. You see, it's wrong to demand honor from other people, but it is right to honor those who have proven themselves to be faithful. The Bible tells us to honor our father and mother. The Bible tells us to honor those who are our elders, meaning age, not spiritual elders in the church. We're told to honor our spouse. We're told to honor our governmental leaders, to honor the elders in our church, and to show honor to all the members of the body. The scripture tells us to show honor to people. Can we honor a couple that has reached a milestone in marriage? Can we honor Lynn, who has reached an age? I'm not repeating it, because even though she said it, she said it was okay, I'm still not doing it. But can we honor her? Can we say, hey, you know what? Can we say, hey, you've been faithful? Um, Herschel York was my pastor's son. He was our music guy uh, when I was growing up. I was very little when he was at the church. But he went on and pastored large churches and um, is the Dean of Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he is um, dean, dean of the Bible, Dean of Theology. And uh, I have called him several times. I have texted with him. Uh, we have emailed, and had, he has been such a help and encouragement to me. To, this morning was his last Sunday. He preached his final sermon as a pastor of Buckram Baptist Church, 
And uh, he is going into retirement, and I guarantee you he will be preaching everywhere all the time. Now, he's a great preacher and a good man. And I texted him this morning, early this morning, and I said, Hey, Herschel, I know it's your last day, and I know this is probably bittersweet. And I said, I know, I said, I know you don't want recognition, but thank you for the times that you have spoken with me on the phone, the emails you've sent, the texts you've sent, and thank you for your podcast. That has really been an encouragement to me. And he, he responded with something like, Stephen, it's, uh, thank you, Stephen, it is... Um, it is all the work of God, nothing of me. And I really believe he means that. Um, is it okay to honor someone like that? I think it is. I think it's okay to say, thank you for your faithfulness. But in our honoring of men, it should always point to Jesus Christ as the one worthy of all honor and praise. Hey, Herschel, thank you for speaking into my life. God has used you. Just because you were willing, not because there's anything good about you, but thank you for speaking and thank you for helping me as a younger pastor. Jesus warns those who exalt themselves will be brought down and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our motivation cannot be to act humble so we can be exalted. That's not what Jesus is teaching us. Hey, man, if I act humble, Jesus, if I, if this is like that. If I, give, if I give money, God's going to pour out the windows of heaven and he's going to pour out blessings on me. We don't do it for that reason. When we do it for that reason, we have our reward. We humble ourselves because we're worthy of no exaltation. We humble ourselves because we follow the example of Jesus. And listen, a humble man cannot seek to be exalted in the eyes of men. So we cannot humble ourselves to be exalted. But listen, just understand that you see that man who's been humble? Man, everybody likes him. Everybody's kind to him. Everybody's generous to him. Why? Because God's exalting someone who's humble. So what shall we do? I'm going to close with this. I read a couple. I read a sermon last week on uh, on this passage. Just curious what what someone else is saying. And the whole sermon was about this is religion versus relationship. It's religion versus relationship. Do the scribes and Pharisees represent religion, and Jesus is teaching represent relationship? I've heard this claim so many times. Listen, I don't want to be religious. I just want to have relationship. I don't want religion. I don't want. I don't want. To, I don't want religion. I want relationship. Jesus hates the pharisaical attitudes of men, and he loves the relationship he made with man. According to Scripture, there's the Jews' religion, Paul's religion, vain religion, and pure religion. Those are all different words that are used to describe religion. Jews' religion, Paul's religion, vain religion, and pure religion. James wrote in James 1.27, Pure religion and undefiled before the God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. Let me, let me warn us. Don't claim Jesus hates religion. Jesus hates the Jews' religion if it's not proper. Jesus hates my religion if it's not proper. But Jesus loves pure religion. What is pure religion? That is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and keep himself inspired from the world. If we would, in fact, lose our pharisaical waves, we would have more pure religion. Religion is a good thing. When it is pure religion. So we have to stop thinking religion is sitting up in the chairs up here. Religion is having a title of deacon or pastor or trustee or director or teacher. That's not religion. Religion is when we leave here and we go out there and we, we show the love and compassion and we show the concern for people that Jesus had. That's what pure religion is. So this is not about religion versus relationship, but it's cause and effect. Relationship brings religion. If we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will have pure religion and undefiled. We'll be undefiled before God and the Father. 
let's have pure religion. And let's stop being religious as the Pharisees were. Let's stand. We're going to prepare to sing. Pat's going to come lead us in a hymn of invitation. If you're here today without Christ, I know everybody here professes to be saved. I, I, I believe at least all the adults profess to be saved. But that doesn't mean everybody is. If you're here today and you're not saved, and the Lord's speaking to your heart about it, then don't leave here tonight until you know. You say, but Pastor, I don't want to interrupt. I know you're going to go watch the Lions game. <laughs> I don't care. I want to go watch it. I want to be with my, 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 my family and all that. I want to go watch it. But I'd much rather talk with you about the gospel. So please don't let that stop stop you. Now, if you just want to talk about, you want to argue a point, we can do that later, okay? Um, but but if you need to be saved, please don't leave here tonight until you, you know that you are. Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to come down to the stairs here and just pray. Um, you can do it in your seat. I know that. Maybe you, you just need to come pray and say, God, I've been such a Pharisee, and I don't want to be a Pharisee anymore. I don't want to have that Pharisaical spirit. I want to have a spirit of love and compassion as Jesus did. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at fbchazelpark.com.